make the difference. You make the difference. We need your presence in this house. We need your presence, Lord, in this place today. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Lord, we ask it, Lord, and we pray it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Turn around speak to a couple people. Amen. Let them know that you're glad they're here today. It is good to see all of you here in service with us on this Sunday morning. A beautiful, cool Sunday morning. Let me start out by just speaking to you and saying we've got several people that are traveling and on the road today. We were on the road last week and uh, got a chance to go and celebrate uh, my father-in-law, Bethany's dad, really like a father to me's 80th birthday with family. And we were excited about getting to do that, spending some time with them. And so we thank you for uh, giving us some time away. And also want to say how much I appreciate Pastor Ted, and I know that he done a great job. I got to hear most of the podcast and uh, talking about a new creation. And I also told him when I talked to him this week, he was talking about being up real late at night, early in the morning, preparing because he felt like he had a message, and then he felt like the Lord was changing that. Now, if you've never been in that situation, you say, well, that's not too bad, Pastor. Well, it is when you've got 100 people staring you in the face thinking you got something you need to tell them and something good to say to them. And I told him, welcome to my world. I have been there many times. As a matter of fact, one of the first services that we preached here at this church, uh, we were setting back what used to be in the dining hall, now our office space, and we were sitting in a class, and, and uh, Bethany said, I knew when the Lord was dealing with you because I seen you switch gears. And she said, you started writing. And she said, I knew that the thing, that everything was about to change. And I said, well, it's because I believe that the Lord had something that he wanted to say, and it was a little bit different than what I thought that he ought to. See, sometimes our expectations of what God's going to do is a little bit different than what God actually does. Amen. I've been in those services when I expected God to do one thing, and then he turned around and did something different. And it's okay. That's why he's God. Amen. And so I want to preach to you this morning. I'm going to talk to you. The only thing I knew to title this was expectations. I started to title it. Several different things. I will always write those down, sometimes erase them, mark through them until I get to the place that I feel like this is what I needed to say. I want to welcome you here this morning in church. If it's your first time here, we're so glad to have you. And um, we're going to go in just a moment to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read to you and preach to you from a message that I don't think that I've ever preached this message before. I know I haven't, or this way. I may have used these verses, but never the way that I'm going to today because it was during some study and during some uh, time of devotion. Pastor, how do you come up with what you're going to speak to us? Most of the time, I prepare myself by a lot of by doing devotions for myself. In other words, I'm feeding myself. I'm feeding myself, and I'm saying, Lord, what is it that I can feed those that are coming on Sunday morning? What is it that you want to speak to them? And then many times through that, the Lord shows me something that is relevant for you, not that all of it's not relevant, but something that you need to hear today, and I believe that's where we are. Are you glad that you're here? I'm glad all three of you. Are you glad that you're here? Amen. So I want to show you in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 5, I want you to stand one more time. That's how you know that you're in a church, amen, that believes in uh, exercise. Not really. I'm just kidding. Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to read to you two, uh, just about three verses here. I'm going to start in verse 2. And it says this, John the Baptist, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all of these things that the Messiah was doing. 
There's a word there that, that breaks this up. I believe it's a conjunctive word, so. I think that's right, maybe, hopefully, something like that. But it says, so he went and sent, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the Messiah? Now, you've got to remember, it's John the Baptist who is in prison, and that he sends his disciples, the ones that have been following him, to ask the question, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus told them, go back to tell John and tell him that what you've heard and seen, and then it says, verse 5, the blind see, the lame walk, the leprosies are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Uh, they'll get ahead. Come on, guys, y'all need to go ahead a little bit on my, my screens here so they can read it. Basically, in this passage of scriptures, he's telling them, hey, guys, uh, John's asking, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? He told his disciples, go ask that question. They ask the, he tells them the question to ask. And then in the middle of all of that, we realize that these miracles are being done, that the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, the dead are being raised, but most importantly, the good news is being preached. Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask you, Lord, to use it. Father, I pray, anoint our ears to hear. Father, I pray that these lips of clay today as they speak, Lord, that they would speak truth and nothing else. I pray, Father, that it would encourage someone here today that needs to hear this word, somebody who came, Father, needing to understand, Lord, that you've got a plan, you've got a purpose bigger than, Lord, even what they're seeing right now. And I pray, God, that you would help each one of us. I pray for that one, Lord, that may be, oh, Lord, maybe at a very far distance from you. They came into this house at a very far distance. And, Lord, I pray that your word would bring them closer. Lord, that before this day is out, Lord, they would give their hearts completely to you. Take the blinders off of their eyes that they might see, Lord, that you love them more than anything else. Lord, we ask you this and we pray it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated today. As I mention to you and I point out to you, and I'm going to use this message a little bit different maybe than what I normally do, or I'm going to preach it a little bit different than the way that I normally would preach most structured messages. I told Angela when I sent it to her, I said it's going to look a little bit different than my normal outline, but just bear with me for a few minutes because I believe that there's at least somebody here that needs to hear what is being said today. As you know that John the Baptist is in prison. We covered that. And he's in a prison cell. He sends, John sends his disciples that have been following him. They've been working with him as he's baptizing, as he's doing good things. And he says, because he's in prison, hey, go to Jesus, go to him and ask him the question. Are you the Messiah or is there, should we be looking for, or the word that I really, that stood out to me was, should we be expecting someone else? And the Bible says that, he goes back, and, and here's what we hear. He says, and Jesus has been healing the sick. He's been healing those that were deaf, raising the dead. The good news is being preached. But Jesus was doing everything that had been prophesied in Isaiah 53, Isaiah about his life. But G And because he was doing that, it was also now being fulfilled in the New Testament. But John was expecting, look at this, the Messiah, but was was expecting the Messiah, but something was causing him to question, and this is the point that I need you to get, was causing him to question his identity. 
John the Baptist is questioning the identity of Christ. Are you the real Jesus? I don't know about you, but I'm going to say this today, that there are probably multiple people that are under the sound of my voice that at some point in your walk with God have asked yourself, is this the real Jesus? Some of you may you may not want to you may not want to admit to it, but you may have said in your mind, uh, "Is God really real?" And I'm gonna you say, "Well, I, I wouldn't admit that." No, we won't admit that. But God knows everything. He knows our heart. He knows us from inside out, and it's all right. I, I know that we don't even want to say, "Hey, I, I'm upset with God. I'm a little bit frustrated with God." Can I tell you? He already knows when you're frustrated. He already knows when you're mad. He knows those things about your life already. But John is in prison and he's questioning these things about that. And it brings me to this point that I want to ask you this question. Have you ever in your life expected something that you thought was going to be totally awesome and somehow or another it was not? You were disappointed. You felt like you got let down, like it just did not happen the way you thought it would. I'm going to give you a story, share with you a personal story. And this is going to be very simple. I'm going to tie into what Pastor Tagan was talking about. A few Octobers ago, uh, actually it happened about in August in an overflow. There's a gentleman that came to the service. And he said, hey, Pastor, I want you to come hunt with me. And I kept saying, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, come hunt with you. You know, I get asked to hunt every now and again different places. You know, I've been there, done that. And he kept on, and he was persistent about it. Long and short of the story, I didn't realize that where I was getting to go was a place that, man, there was a lot of these record deer that were killed on, on this property. And so uh, I, I agreed to come, and so I'd had my mind uh, set that I would. He'd take me out to the stand the first than I had seen in the past two years of hunting everywhere else. 24 hours, I seen more deer on a, on a morning hunt and an evening hunt. And I thought, man, God, you could be in this. I'm talking about I was seeing some big deer. And, uh, but they were certain deer that they wanted to, to take, and I knew that and was under the understanding of that. And so a few days rocked on, and I'd gotten to know the guy that worked for him and this, that, and the other. And they had a, sh- they had a shed where you could park your... ATVs and all this kind of stuff that I really didn't have uh, at that time. And so anyway, I was going on an evening hunt. And the man told me, he said, you can go to this stand that my daughter sets on. See, nobody showed me this stand yet. Nobody told me about this stand. Because this is his daughter's stand. And I'm thinking in my mind, wow, this is great. This is going to be cool. This is going to be the night that I see that deer. It's during bow season. And so I go, I I take the ATV that they have said, now you can drive it. It is the same ATV that they use to feed deer because where I'm hunting, they legally can do that. And so I go out, I park it about 50 yards from the stand. I walk back up to the road. I know where the stand is. I walk in. I, I tie my bow off. I walk up. I get set. I pull the bow up. I'm sitting there and I'm waiting. And sure enough, anticipation grows and grows and grows. And there are those deer that start coming in. Now, if you're a deer hunter, you know what I'm talking about because those does start coming in early. And it'll be the younger ones and then the older ones. And I mean, they're within a bow shot of what I'm wanting. And I have got this high expectation. Something happens and these deer scatter. 
And I wasn't too disappointed because really what I was looking for, you guys know it, absolutely. I was looking, I was hunting the horns. I was looking for a this. Because this guy said the year before that, when we when everything got closed down, we were having 24-inch spread deer that were coming into this property. They were people who now I'm gonna tell you something. That gets your that'll get you excitement, that'll get you going. And so I'm sitting there and I'm waiting, and then I start hearing this noise. And I start thinking in my mind, you know, I'm hearing it behind me, and I'm thinking in my mind, this, this deer is massive. All I can see and picture in my mind is this massive 24-inch spread deer coming through the brush. You know what I'm talking about. You can hear it. If you're sitting in a deer stand, if you hear a squirrel, you know, you look because that's just what you do. You're looking, you know, you can't help it. So I, I'm thinking in my mind, this 24-inch spread deer, and it, this goes on for some time, and I'm thinking and I'm anticipating he's coming underneath me anytime he's going to be here, and I just kept waiting, and I kept waiting, and I kept waiting, and I would hear it, and I would hear it, and then the then it went away, and then some deer started filtering in, none of them, any of that again. Right at dusk, they all got scattered again. I'm frustrated now. It's dark. It's over with. So I lower my bow down. I walk down. I'm telling you all of this for a purpose because I think it's important for you to understand what expectations can do to you. And so I lower the bow down. I get out my $2 Harbor Freight flashlight or the one you can get for free. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And I start walking back to the side-by-side or the ATV that I came in on. Do y'all want to see my deer? Show them the first picture. Anybody know what that is? That's a bag of corn. Man, look at that hole in it. I got to looking because there was two of those bags in it, and I was like, those bags of corn were not ripped like that. And then I got to thinking in my mind, you know what? I don't know a deer anywhere that would stick his head up in there and rip that bag of corn like that. I just, I just don't know it. Cause, so anyway, here's my, here's my deer. It dawned on me, that's actual. That's an actual picture of another bear where I was hunting, and we have another one that's bigger out on that same place, but I have seen multiple. But look, when I knew that there were, but I could not get that thing cranked fast enough, and it's dark, I'm ready to go. You say, Pastor, that's a cub, that's a little bear. It doesn't matter. My expectations had had it where he was huge, and in my mind I thought, man, if I could, if this guy decides he wants me, I, it dawns on me. It is a bear that has opened this corn. This corn. Now I'm going to tell you something. We laugh about it because it is funny. But I'm going to tell you, it wasn't funny at the time. Amen. And it did not turn out the way that I expected. And I want to ask you something. What happens in your life when you're going through things or you're you're doing and things just in life does not turn out the way that you planned? Life moments when you thought that God was going to work it all out, that everything was going to happen the way you thought it would, and for some reason, some reason that it did not live up to your expectations. Can I tell you something? I believe this with all of my heart, that God may not live up to your expectations, but He will always keep His word. He will never lie. He will never tell you something that He won't do. Our expectations sometimes are based on what we think, not necessarily on His word. Come on, somebody. 
Romans 3, 3 tells us true of some that were faithful. But just because they were unfaithful does not mean that God uh, will be unfaithful. Verse 4 says, of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, what does it say? It says that God is true. He's not going to lie. He is faithful. And even if I thought one thing in my mind, even if I thought that God would work it out this way and He did not, it does not mean that God lied. I'm going to give you another story. This, I'm, I'm preaching on, it ain't just stories. I'm going to give you a Bible today, but let me, i got to lay this foundation. I was raised in a full gospel, full-fledged Pentecostal church. When I was a boy, man, you, you would have thought that the house, amen, the top was going to come off of the house when service began to start because, I mean, it would get to, I mean, really, especially Sunday night. I mean, Sunday night was just totally different. I mean, Dad would preach, and of course, I had a pastor before him that preached, but my dad was pastoring and stuff. And man, he would preach, and and uh, I didn't. They didn't let us sleep on the. We didn't have chairs. We had pews. You could, you know, if you had little ones, we didn't really have a nursery. So sometimes they would scoot them underneath there. But look, those kids could get some time of sleeping, and then they could get some time of the word because you were going to have church, and we would have church. But when I got older, there was a, I realized, I began to realize something, that not all the time were the things that I heard in church, not that it was not true, but that it wasn't the way I thought it was. There's a sister, uh, not Jamie Passman, but uh, what's her name? Tracy Passman. She used to sing this song in church. She'd come to church, and she'd get up, and I'd never heard it before, and it was talking about God being an on-time God. You remember that song? He was an on-time God. He may not be there when you think he would, but he would. he's an on-time God. And, he pre- and, and she would sing that song, and, man, it would get cranked up. And here's the thing. When I became an adult, after going through church as a young adult uh, or as a student, I realized I, I had these high expectations that God would be there on my time and not on his time. That's the thing. When you start growing up, you start realizing that God's timing isn't always your timing. And the things that he wants to do in life is a little bit different. When you have feelings that everyone else around you, for some reason or other, they're being blessed and they're favored of God, but you're just trying to pick up the pieces. You're just trying to put one foot in front of the others. Bless God. You're just trying to get all the socks and shoes to align with the kids so you can get them to children's church and nursery without killing one of them. Anybody with me there? I have personally know in my life that I have had these feelings that somehow or another that God did not care about how I felt. He didn't care about what season I was in. He didn't care. I didn't know if God was going to come through or not. Please don't look at me religious. Please don't look at me that way. It may You may feel like it disqualifies me from being here, but I'm going to tell you I believe that what you might think disqualifies me from being here is the actual thing that qualifies me that in all of these circumstances I have learned to put my my faith and to put my trust in God to believe that even though it didn't work out when I thought it would, how I thought it would, that God still was God in the middle of the prison house, in the middle of the church house. He does not change. He is still God. Amen. I was thinking about multiple men in the Bible. We won't have time to go through them all. But I thought about a man that, that really exemplifies this in a big way. We think about troubles and trial. Who do you think about in the Bible? Thank you very much to my wife. Amen, Job. 
I think about a man named Job. If you've never read the book of Job, you need to read the book of Job. Well, pastor, the Bible says that he was a just and upright man. He was. But the Bible also teaches us that he was an example of how that life can absolutely turn on you on a dime. That everything could be good one moment and you could be the healthiest and the wealthiest in the land and Satan, come on somebody, can, can come in and it isn't always Satan's job to mess with your stuff but the Bible teaches us that Satan was going back and forth in heaven asking uh, uh, asking the Lord about his faithful people. And he and, and God says to, to Satan, hey, have you tried my servant Job? And he said, no, you've got, he, he loves you so much and fears you so much, there's no sense in me even trying him. And God said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll lift the hedge a little bit. I'll lift the fence enough that you can crawl under. Come on, somebody. I'll give it just enough room that you can get in. And you can do whatever you want to, but you can't take your life. And I believe... I I've got faith that Job will come out as tried and pure. But I'm going to tell you something. Job battled with the same things that you and I battled while he was scraping his sores in the pot, uh, in the the with the pieces of pottery. And he was dealing with what he was dealing with. He had the same thoughts that you and I have. Where has God went? Has God left me? Is God not there anymore? Come on, somebody. We all go through that. And so finally Job gets to the breaking point in his troubles and he starts to question God and none of us want to admit we've been there but we all have Job 14 verse 19 says this this was Job as the waters wear away the stones and the floods wash away the soil so you God have destroyed the people's hope one version said you've destroyed the hope of the people that's what Job was saying about God he was saying God he, there was one place that Job said he cursed the day that he was born are you hearing what I'm telling you? He had the same thoughts except for Job was brave enough to tell God how he felt. Amen, somebody. Wait a minute, Pastor. I, I don't understand something. I, I thought I've heard somebody preach, maybe you preach, that God wouldn't put any more on us than He could bear, than we could bear. You know, there's the problems with a lot of our expectations. We quote scriptures the way we believe they actually are, and that's not what God said. The expectations of what God said was not that he wouldn't put any more on us than we could bear. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that he would not allow us to be tempted. Come on, somebody. Above that which we could stand. I'm going to tell you something. He said also, when you are tempted, I will make a way of escape. I will make a way that you can get out. That there, It is not impossible, but he said nothing about the fact that we cannot, we could not bear it. I believe that misinterpretation many times of the scriptures is the very reason that we question our faith well God I thought you were I thought this was what the Bible said I, I thought this was it we have a high expectation listen to this of something that God has not said come on somebody God promised that he would not allow you to be tempted more than you could stand he would provide that way out but I'm going to tell you it did not say that he wouldn't give you more than you would bear. But I'm going to tell you this. Hear what I'm about to tell you. He does promise you this. He promises in his word that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's what I want to share with you. If you're going through some stuff right now, you're going through some problems, you've got an up, you've got a down, you've been in church, out of church, questioning God, questioning your own faith, questioning whether you're even worthy to be his child or not, I'm going to tell you this, that God has promised that he will not leave 
leave you. You know what it says? It says he may not he may not bring you out when you think you ought to be brought out, but he will go with you and hold your hand all the way. Why? He has promised that he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. The God that I serve will not, cannot fail. He is the miracle worker. Come on, somebody. He is the light in the middle of the darkness. Oh, I'm telling you today that God can and that he will. Amen. Amen. I think about another man, a man by the name of Paul. The Apostle Paul, the Bible says, it went through so many different things. Shipwrecked, all kinds of stuff that he went, he went through. As a matter of fact, when you read from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, if I understand the Scriptures right, what he was writing, a lot of these letters, he was in a prison. He was in a prison cell. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? He was in a prison cell. And John, and now he understands John's perspective. John, has, John the Baptist was in prison. And he has a good understanding that life can leave you with huge disappointments. Somebody say disappointments. Life can leave you with huge disappointments. And, and I've heard people say it. Heard people preach it. I've heard young people quote it. The struggle is real. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, we can sing all the songs we want to. I'm going to preach this whether you help me or not. We can sing all the songs we want to. You, you can amen all we, we can amen, shout, and everything else. But I'm going to tell you there's a big difference between being in the prison cell and being in, being in the prison house and being in the church house. Because it's easy to shout when you've got people of faith all around you. Come on, somebody. People praying over you. People lifting you up. People encouraging you. But I'm going to tell you it's another thing all together when you can't find somebody on Monday morning that will text you back, that will call you back, that will encourage you back because you feel like somehow or another life has turned on a dime and you are disappointed because your expectations were here and they have been let down. Pastor, I don't understand all that. Well, I'll tell you this, Paul was in a prison, John was in a prison, and they understand that the struggle is real. And I'm going to tell you something, listen to this, scholars believe, they, they try to agree on most things, but the way that Paul would die would be that he's beheaded. I'll tell you another one beyond that. I went through a message one time, preached a, series, or preached a message on how each of the disciples died, the best that I could see, the best that I could find, what the scripture said, what Jewish history said. Peter was filleted with a knife. His skin was filleted off of him with a knife. The struggle was real. John, John the Baptist was beheaded. Can I ask you something now? When we go back and we say those, ver those words again, well, God won't give you any more than you can bear. Don't you think that Paul had a little bit more than he could bear? Don't you think that while Peter was being filleted with a knife, he had more than he could bear? Don't you think just before the guillotine came down on John the Baptist's head that he had just a little bit more than he could bear? Can I tell you something? That's the reason that we get the way we do is we misinterpret what God's trying to say. Let me, let me say this again. God may not always go the way that you think he will but he will always hold your hand he will always be there pastor why does God allow these things why is it now let me tell you a couple things human will plays into it sometimes we make choices that cause us to be where we are come on somebody and sometimes we just slip down in somebody else's vomit and we didn't intend to be there and I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say because I believe this rings true with us God will never allow you to live your life, a life that makes him unnecessary. 
Because about the time you think you've got it going on, about the time you think that you've got it all figured out, about the time that you think you've got it all worked out, something happens in your life and life turns on a dime. Your expectations drop. You have to figure out what you're going to do. And you don't know what else to do. You've got a choice. You either can run from God or run to God. Can I tell you the greatest thing in the world that you can do is run to God because He will never let you or allow you to live your life that makes Him unnecessary. I don't need God. Come on, somebody. I don't need Him in this hour. I don't need Him in this place. That's why we pray. That's why we go to the Father. That's why we read the Word. We need a miracle working God. Come on, somebody. So let me take you now real quickly to Cousin John. John the Baptist, where we started, Matthew 11. Cousin John is the forerunner of Jesus. He has been given the greatest proof that Jesus is who he says he is. He ought to believe, if nothing else, he ought to believe more than anybody else that Jesus is the Messiah. Why, Pastor? Well, when we read the Scriptures, we find out that John's been given this visible sign. Do you remember when John's baptizing Jesus? The Bible says a dove descends on him, and the voice of the Father comes down and says, Hey, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. What more of a sign could he need that Jesus was really the Messiah? What more of a sign could he need to really believe that Jesus is who he said? Wouldn't you believe if a dove came down, lit on, on, on a person's shoulder while you was baptizing, a voice from heaven comes out and says, This is my beloved son, and whom I'm well pleased. What would you do, Pastor? I'd believe. But something has caused John, believing in a visible sign and a voice from heaven, to a place where he's asking the question or asking his disciples to ask, is this asking, is he the Messiah, or should we be expecting another? Think about it, church. Something's happened. He's questioning the identity. Why? I believe that it's this, and I kind of touched it just a few minutes ago. I believe the reason that John questioned the identity of Jesus is because there is such a difference in walking in the waters of baptism, the waters of uh, of a good church service, if you will. Uh, uh, if when you're going through all of that, the perspective of that struggle, Amen. To the perspective of being in a prison. When he was in the waters of baptism, his faith was filled. He understood that Jesus was the Messiah. He heard this voice. He saw this sign. He can believe. That's why many of you come into church. We can go through an overflow service, and man, you are on a you are on a nine mile high. Can't keep you away from the altars. You're lifting up your hands. You're shouting. You're worshiping. You're kneeling at an altar. Can't get enough. Want to stay around? Let four weeks go by. Let the enemy come in like a flood. Let him turn your life on a dime. Let something happen it's for some reason or another you go from this you go from this place of believing in faith to some kind of invisible prison that the enemy has put around you and what you used to believe you have now started to doubt can I tell you he is a God that does not change that he's still God in the good times as much as he'll be God in the bad times as good as when everybody's doing well when all the house is doing well when everybody's living for the Lord and when some of them are acting like hell 
millions. Come on, somebody. He is still God. It does not change. But it's up to you and I to walk it out by faith and believe that God has not changed. If he's a God of overflow, he'll be a God of today. Come on, somebody. If he's a God of overflow, he'll be a God on Monday. When everything is not like I thought it would be. What are you saying, Pastor? When we get in this prison, we get in this prison that we build around ourselves of doubting who we are and doubting who God is. I believe that we need to turn our expectations toward Him. Stop doubting. Start believing that God is still the miracle worker. We just sang about it. That He is the light giver. That He's the one that lets the chains fall off. He's the one that lets the shackles fall off. He is God and He does not change. We get into the expectations of what we think God ought to do. I thought this was pretty good. A prison of your perspective will cause you to doubt your destiny. Let me tell you something. Not everything that comes along in your life that you think God put in your life is everything that God put in your life. There's some things that he'll put in that the enemy will allow to be brought in to see if your faith is really what your faith ought to be. It's to check you. It's to check who you are. And you're really never going to know what kind of faith you have until one man said it, until that faith has been tested. And sometimes it is that we don't, we feel like we don't have enough, that we financially somehow do not have enough. And we feel like that we, we need to get more in some way. And we, 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 we start to question whether God cares about us because these people are prospering. How are they buying new houses? How did they get a brand new hoopty? Come on, somebody. How did they do what they're doing? And God, you know that I've served you all of these years and I'm trying my best to love you and live for you. And it feels like you have abandoned me. Can I tell you, the opposite can swing the other way because you can have more than what you know that you need and what you could do with and don't know how to handle it and it can turn you down just again I've talked to many that it has turned down and they have lost everything come on somebody they have lost everything why because we set our expectations one place and God has something else be careful that you don't build a, pr a prison of perspective that causes you to doubt I didn't write this down but you know that comparison will kill you looking at everybody else y'all know that Facebook is only the highlight reel it's what everybody wants you to see. It's what everybody wants you to think about their life. Everybody wants to. Somebody was telling me the other day, and I don't even remember who it was. If you're here, it was, I don't even think it was somebody here, but somebody else said, you can see all these couples on Facebook. They look all lovey-dovey, but you know there's stuff going on in their life. Can I tell you something? Facebook. Social media, a lot of that is the highlight reels of what most people want you to believe is good in their life. But can I tell you, life happens to every one of us. Every one of us deal with stuff sometimes that is not good. Our expectation level was here, but it ended up here. Come on, somebody. Could be that you're in this thing called marriage. You thought it would turn out differently than you thought it would. First you thought everything would be great and then it didn't end up the way you believed. It happens a lot. We see a lot. Maybe it was your finances. Maybe it's, maybe it's just life in general did not turn out the way that you thought it would. I thought about this. I hear this more often than not. Most of the times people talk about how they're hurt. And many times what I find is people that get hurt in church hurts in church can vary from, they can vary from a lot of different things. Somebody said something to them. They thought somebody said something to them. 
this happened, that happened, whatever. You know what I want to, I just want to say to you this morning, whatever has happened to you in church, wherever it's happened, whether it was here or somewhere else, first of all, maybe nobody's ever said it to you, I'm sorry. Come on, somebody. I think that needs to be said. And secondly, I want you to know something. Don't ever, don't ever judge the heart of God by what somebody else did to you. I'll say it again. Don't ever judge the heart of God by somebody else who's hurt you in church. Don't, you can't do that because the heart of God is never that way. You know what I find? That most of the time people that get hurt or they think they're hurt in some way, they're hurt because they've already been hurting. And they just, this just kind of something that mounted on top of it and it just, it just magnified it. Possibly your life as a Christian. Maybe you're here this morning. I'm, I'm going to close here shortly. Maybe you feel like your life has not turned out as a believer like you thought it was. You had high expectations that when you gave your heart and your life to Jesus that everything was going to be great, but somehow or another it doesn't seem that way, maybe because you failed God. The truth of it is, as your pastor standing here honestly before you today, and this may disqualify me again in some people's eyes, I feel like at times I have failed God way too many times more than He's given me grace. But the one thing I know about God, I, I need you to hear me, especially you young people, and really all of us today, but especially you listen to what I'm saying to you today. I'm telling you that the grace of God can go further than what your failure can. And that I've read the Word of God over and over again that says His mercy endures forever. Come on, somebody. And that He never stops. He never stops. He never stops looking and trust, uh, looking for you and trying to get you to live where you need to be living at. He's not, he's not mad at you. That's, that's another one I need to tell you. God's not mad at you. My Bible says that God is full of mercy and that it endures forever. Let me just say to you, God is faithful. There's another guy in the Bible when we think about people that, are, that fail in church or we, we feel like failures. There's a guy by the name of Simon Peter. He's one of my favorite people in the Bible because Simon Peter could do some stuff, man. He could get in trouble. He was, as my daddy would say, a pistol. He was a pistol. He, he, he is the same guy that could, uh, he could cut a soldier's ear off and Jesus would put it back. He's the same guy that would say, hey, Jesus, I am, I am the guy who will never, ever, ever deny you. And Jesus would say to him, I love you, Peter, but I'm going to tell you, you won't just deny me one time, but you'll deny me three times. And Peter would say, Lord, never. I would never do that. I love you. I'm your homeboy. Come on, somebody. See, most of us don't know if you do the research. You can do a little bit of research and find out probably when Jesus found Peter, we'll just use him, Simon Peter, he was a fisherman, which meant that he was probably fishing with no clothes on when he found him. Because they, they would take their outer clothes and garments off to keep from getting them wet because they didn't have a, a wardrobe at home to go home and change from, most of them. So he would find him on the, on the beach, and Jesus would, for some reason or another, pick Peter because he knew that Peter had something. You, see, here's the thing. A lot of times... People or God or Jesus, let me just say that, sees the potential in us that we don't see in ourselves. Most of the time, there are people that see the potential in us that we don't see in ourselves. But Jesus saw something in Peter. Do you not believe if Jesus is all-knowing, if he's all-sovereign, he knew that one day Peter would cut off that, that 
guy's ear. Do you not believe that he knew that when Jesus, that he knew that when Peter got into that place and the guy and the little girl said, you're one of them, you're one of them, that the Bible says he would curse three times. Come on, somebody. He would deny that he ever knew the Lord. Are y'all hearing me? Do you, do you not think that? Well, Jesus knew Jesus knew all of these things about Simon Peter. Look at what Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. This is how I know he knew about Simon Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. In other words, he really wants to, Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to sift your life as wheat. He wants to separate you out, make you not know up from down, right from left. That's what he's saying. He's, this is Jesus telling Peter that. He said, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. Jesus said, I prayed for you. Look at this. Pastor, if, if, if he'd have been one of my guys, I would have never let him ever serve at my church. He could never have been on the dream team. He could never been in the he could never been in the greeters group. Come on, somebody. He couldn't have never done that because he failed. But I want you to notice what the Bible says. And I only recently noticed this again. I've always noticed that Jesus prayed for him. That to me is huge. But I love what he said. He said, So when you have repented, in other words, Peter, go on and get this stuff behind you. Get it behind you. I know you're going to do it. Come on, somebody. I know that you're going to mess up. I know that you're not perfect. I know that you won't make it. Look at what he said. I know that when you repent, he said, go ahead and do it. Turn to me again, comma, then go strengthen your brothers. Tell them something good. Man, that's, that's some good stuff right there. Come on, somebody. He tells him, Peter, I know you're going to fail. Come on, guys, get ready for me to drop me some music. Jesus said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. Go strengthen your brothers. Why is that? I believe that God is the only one who's able to help us to look beyond our past, our pain, our failure. And in the midst of it, He sees who we are and He loves us in spite of our past, our pain, and our failure. Listen to this. Stop trying to write yourself out of a plan that God is trying to walk you into. God's trying His best and you keep disqualifying yourself. I used to stand up and preach messages. I would apologize at the end of the message because I felt like maybe I said something that might have offended somebody and all I had to do was speak the word and told the truth of what I believed the word was saying. The Holy Spirit dealt with me one day and He said, Son, I gave you that word and I didn't tell you to apologize. I, I gave that word to you because the word of God is the thing that can discern The Bible says that Peter will go on to be one of the greatest apostles of Christ. As a matter of fact, on Wednesday night, we did a study called There Is More. We've been advertising it too. It's been really a great study on the boundaries of the Holy Spirit and how God wants to get them out and use them. We just talked out of Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. And one of the great things I, 
Pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. What are you telling me, Pastor? I'm telling you that no matter which way you turn, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how you understand it, what your expectations were, you are always surrounded by Him. We sing that song. We talk about being surrounded by His unfailing love. And I believe if you'll stand today that God has brought you here today and that no matter where you are and what you're facing, He is with you. God wants great things in your life. He's not done with you. You know that, Pastor. Here's this, this last and final thought that God wants to tell you. I heard a story about Just before the earthquake, a daddy was taking his father to school. As the daddy was taking his father, the little boy to school, he said to him, what's your father going to say to you? Father, hey, son, I'll see you this evening. I love you. As he turned and left and only had went just a few blocks, that bad earthquake hit the earth. And they say that it was so bad that the building This father, when it happens, swings around. Everybody hear me? He swings around and goes back to the school where he just dropped off his son. I have two sons, so I can imagine as well. And the story goes on to say that the man climbs. He starts climbing over the rocks where this building is to the path where he knew his son was 
starts to eat. People are trying to get in the way. There's no use. There's nothing you can do. Look at the story of this fruit. There's nothing you can do. He keeps digging. He keeps digging. Hours go by. Ten hours, twelve hours, fifteen hours. He gets into the twenty hours and he's still digging. And most of the people there believe that he's only digging because he's trying to dig the way. Nothing. The story goes on. Thirty-six hours. People start helping him. Thirty-six hours. a noise. And that noise was enough for him to call everybody else as they began to be accused. They pulled away the rocks. They found a cavern in the middle of that where that rock had fallen. There were 13 students in the Guess who one of the students was? I come by to tell you today, that's God over your life. He never quits looking for you. He never stops searching for you. He will pursue you all the days of your life. Father, now in the name of Jesus.